I, I don't know what it is this week, but I've been thinking about math as I've been looking at this, this passage and thinking about how to diagram it and explain it. I think it might be perhaps because I've been helping some of the kids with some of their math equations and it's hit me that it's like been 25 years since I've seen this stuff. Um, here's an here's insight. I have a doctorate, but the highest math that I took out of high school was weights and measures. That's what happens when you have four degrees in theology. And so, um, but Kyla, my, my oldest daughter, she used to have a t-shirt. It cracked me up. It said, math, mental abuse to humans. So, um, you know, but I've been thinking about, as I've been looking at Acts chapter 15, because what we have is we have an insight into the early leadership of the early church, the apostles' uh, leadership, and the, the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, and, and the leadership of the church of Antioch. And we have this problem that arises within the church. Now, I know you thought our church was the only church that had problems, but from the very beginning, we see this, and so we see the early, uh, an early controversy that happens in the church that is a, a controversy that still continues even on today. And, and we see throughout this chapter some ways that the early church has dealt with it. And so as I thought about it and prayed about it, and, and again, I, I think math was on my mind, I, I thought about a few different ways to explain this. And so the first one is, is today, there's a formula, an equation that, that I want you to remember. And I'm not original to make this up, but I think it's excellent. And it's Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And, and what I mean by that is that if we add anything as a requirement to salvation other than faith alone in Jesus Christ, we do not have salvation. Amen? That's the place for the thundering amen right there. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The reality of it is, is the only thing that you bring to salvation is the sin that needed forgiven. And so this morning, we're going to look at an early controversy that arises within the church, an early controversy that, that we see over and over again in, in different ways where salvation must require something we got to do something the reality of it is is in our sinful self we want to earn our salvation we we want to be good enough we want something that we do to make it count in fact i want to be more saved than you are i want to work harder and better and, and, and be in competition against you and, and this happens in a lot of different ways and, and you're familiar with this for for some Sometimes the equation that's proposed is Jesus plus legalism equals salvation. So, so you have to have Jesus, but then you also, you, you also have to do certain things. You know, I, I, I still remember going to a church with long hair when I was a kid. And I, I was a new Christian. I had no idea. And after church, they told me, son, next time you come back, be sure to get a haircut. And I was like, What? I went to a legalistic church, and they gauged salvation not just on faith in Jesus Christ, but on certain 
mostly cultural things that you must keep and do these things if you're saved, if you're going to be saved. Some do Jesus and good works. You have to be saved and you have to have good works. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go. James talks and says that if your, your faith has no good works, then it's kind of a worthless faith. There's a difference between saying genuine faith will produce genuine heartfelt good works and saying faith plus works saves you. Do you get that? Do you understand the distinction there? But even today, there's a, there's a new controversy in the church in many ways about this, this old problem that you got to be saved and you got to have good works because that's what saves you. That old thief on the cross, he sure didn't have a whole lot of time to do any good works after all the bad works he'd done, did he? It was Jesus alone. For many, it's Jesus plus a religious ritual. Jesus plus a religious ritual. And, and it varies by different groups and, and by different things. But, but you have to have Jesus and, and you have to do these things that the church says, that the tradition says in these ways. Or, or just Jesus alone isn't enough. And of course, what we see in this text today and what has been the hang up for so many through the centuries and even still today is this idea that you have to have Jesus and keep the Old Testament law. You have to have Jesus and keep the Old Testament law. And this was the issue here in the early church that we see, and, and we'll see it as we go throughout the New Testament as you read it. Paul keeps dealing with these individuals that they call the Judaizers, this, this group that said, yes, you trust in Christ, but you've got to become a Jew too. So the Gentiles... They, they have to trust in Jesus and then get circumcised. Boy, that makes evangelism difficult, doesn't it? <laughs> and so this is a controversy that we're going to see throughout the New Testament. But what I, I want to highlight as we come through Acts 15 is I want to highlight a, a couple of things. I, I want to highlight, first of all today, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And the text is going to make this very clear as Peter is going to, to explain to us about salvation. But then, they're going to, to move on. And next week's message is that uh, different does not equal sin. So there are some differences and, and cultural differences and different things. And they make accommodations then for cultural differences. But they do not and we cannot compromise unity for truth we cannot compromise unity for truth when it comes to the nature of salvation and how one is saved and that salvation is through faith alone in jesus christ alone we cannot compromise and allow to to bring in individuals that would say yeah plus works because if we do so we lose the gospel because jesus plus anything equals Nothing. Look, you're all doing my math. Look, look with me at the text. I'm going to read today Acts chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So if you'd follow along, let me, let me begin and read God's word to you. 
But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. There it is. That's, that's the problem. You got to, yeah, you can believe, but you also have to keep the law. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Man, Luke, come on. I want that. After they had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem, to the mother church, to the apostles and the elders about this question. This is the Jerusalem council called together. So, being sent on their way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers that belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Paul, you didn't save them yet. They're missing something. It's Jesus plus the law. You see, that's the argument here. It's Jesus plus, they're not saved yet, Paul. Great job. So glad you went on this journey. So neat to hear about your stories. You need to go back with a scalpel. Because <laughs> you didn't finish the job. You, you, this, is, this is the debate. I want you to see that. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And there had been much debate. There was a lot of going back and forth. There was a lot of debate and consideration at what's going on here. But Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by, the mouth of the, that, that, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about when he went to Cornelius. You remember the vision? The sheet comes down with the clean and the unclean things. And God says, I've made all things clean. And then at the same time that the sheet comes down and this revelation comes to Peter, a Gentile knocks on the door and says, my master, Cornelius, has summoned you to go. And the Holy Spirit tells him, you need to go. And he goes. And the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. They're saved. And it was an amazing thing. You remember that? The sermon was called Surprised by Grace. They were surprised at what God had done. And so he retells this, verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now, I, I think he said that pretty sharply, don't you? And then he concludes in verse 11. This is beautiful. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
just to save you. Through grace. So this story, uh, the, the, the account here starts off, and, and again, I, I kind of led through as I read the text, but I'll just rehash it real quick. They, Paul and Barnabas have returned from the first missionary journey, the first missionary trip. They come back to the church at Antioch that had sent them out. They give a report, and it said that they stayed some time with them. And so they're preaching and teaching and loving being in the fellowship of the church. They're telling everybody about the amazing thing that God did amongst the Gentiles, that, that they were saved. And then a group comes up. Can you, if you close your eyes, you can probably picture this guy, right? We've all met him. <clears throat> That's a nice story and all, son, but uh, did you circumcise him? Are they keeping the law? Are you sure they're saved? I don't think they're saved. Jesus plus something. And so they have this debate there at the church in Antioch, this wonderful, mission-sending, incredible church. There's this debate about these who had come down and were trying to impose uh, salvation that required works, the works of the flesh, the, 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 the works of uh, the law to be saved, that, that basically the Gentiles needed to become Jews. And it, and it dis, did away with salvation by grace. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they weren't standing for this and they weren't going to let this fly. And so they decided to send a group back to Jerusalem where this teaching had originated, where the group of Pharisees that were told or teaching this are, that the whole church, that the, the apostles might gather together and address this issue once for all. It's a very important moment in the history of the church. I want you to see that. I want you to see that this is a very important moment for the church to solidify to themselves and to us today that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's exactly what they do. And so I want us to look at Peter's response here. That's kind of the setup. They go there, they debate, and then they're, they're, they're there, it says, at verse 7, there had been much debate. So they're going back and forth. The Judaizers are making their case. And Peter stands up to give a defense. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning is this defense that Peter makes beginning in verse 7. It says, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The first heading here that I want to give you is simple. We are saved by Christ. We are saved by Christ. We are saved by Christ. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus equals salvation. We're saved by Christ. There's three 
things here, three grand things that, that I want us to see. And the issue is salvation. In, in verse 1, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is first priority. Verse 11, we believe that they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. This is an issue of salvation. This is an issue of first priority, of first things. You cannot have disunity about salvation or you lose it. Does that make sense? So this is a big deal. In our day, in our age, there's all kinds of movements. There have been all kinds of movements to gather together anyone who has any kind of belief about Jesus and, and try to make some kind of uh, group, homogeneous group, that's just Christian. And in some groups, they do that because they really don't care about the gospel. But we who believe the Bible must always resist joining hands and partnership and and, and, and okaying a group or a situation or a teaching that denies that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Amen? There cannot be unity where there would not be salvation. That is a first priority thing. So I want to make three statements here. The first is this, and we see it here. Salvation is by God's grace alone. Grace is a beautiful word. Grace is, if you wanted to summarize salvation in one word, grace is the word that I would choose. Grace. And we know grace, the common definition that we know by grace is unmerited favor. That we would receive something that we don't deserve. That on that busy month, when you forget to mail in the mortgage payment, they give you a five-day grace period. They didn't have to, but aren't they nice? Here's another way that I've recently heard grace, and I like this. It's, a, it's an acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That we can experience the rich, boundless love and promises of God because Jesus Christ paid the price for us. Not for anything that we've done, but because of Christ. Peter makes it clear in verse 7 that salvation originated, salvation of the Gentiles originated in God. Look at this. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God sent me divinely to the Gentiles. God is saving the Gentiles. This is his argument. And, and then he goes on further, and he says that there was no distinction. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And the reason that they can say that in verse 8 is because they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. I guess I can, right? You're not going to get up and leave. This is a very important passage when we think about the visible signs of the Holy Spirit that were given in the book of Acts. Because there are individuals that read those passages and say that they are prescriptive and should only happen. 
But I read these passages and say they're descriptive. God, for a certain time, at a certain place, for a certain reason, caused these visible signs of the Holy Spirit so that everybody who demonstrated them knew that they were part of the family because there was such a racial and cultural distance between these groups that had God not shown visibly what he was doing invisibly, they wouldn't have known and they just would have fought about it. Does that make sense? Peter says here, God chose that I go, God saved them, and we know that he saved them because just as he showed us we're saved, he showed that they were saved. And the reason he says this is because there's groups that are saying, ah, they're not saved. They, they trusted Jesus, but they didn't get circumcised. They're not saved. And Peter's going, they're saved. Look. Why? Because of grace. Because of God's grace. Peter sums it up in verse 11. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through unmerited favor through God choosing us and calling us not because of anything that we've done not because of anything that we bring not because of anything that he needs from us but that God showed his grace to us Ephesians chapter 1 is an incredible passage about the grace of God in Ephesians chapter 1, there's seven verses that in the original Greek are one sentence. Paul, like, gets so excited about what God has done, he just forgets how to write. He just starts going, right? That's what I tell Krista when she edits my stuff and goes, why are there so many run-ons? I just got excited. And it ends with just, we are to be amazed, we are to be thankful. That is our response to grace, is to be thankful for God, to, to realize it's not by our hand, it's not by our works, it's not by anything that we've done. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, he, he says this, you have been saved by grace, not by works, so that no man may boast. That's it. For we are God's workmanship chosen in Jesus Christ beforehand, that we may walk in good works. Because it's grace. Because it's grace, we have no boast. Because it's grace, we can't say, but I was circumcised and I kept the Sabbaths and, and, and I did tithed and, and I did the extra laws that they didn't do. It's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. What he's saying here is, you don't need to be a, a Jew to be a Christian. It's not because of the works of the law, but we are saved by grace. Now, the reality of it is, is that they wanted to say that they had brownie points. There was something extra. There was something greater. They had a higher standing. But Peter says, no, it's by grace that you're saved. You might have gone to church your whole life. You might have given more than anyone else. You might have served. You might have been a missionary. You, you might have done all of these things. But I want you to know that all of those things that you've done have not and will not and cannot earn your salvation. Because salvation is by grace alone. We're saved by grace the second statement that I want to make out of this is this. Salvation is through faith alone. What connects us to God's grace? 
How do we know that we have received God's grace? How is it that we receive God's grace? We receive God's grace when we connect to God through faith. When God opens our heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ and we believe. Now, there's all kinds of things that we want to do to show that. Right? Because it just, it seems too simple. Doesn't it? But the reality of it is, is that because it's God's work and God's action, God uh, opens our hearts and we come and we receive Christ wholeheartedly in faith. That's the thief on the cross. He didn't have to go and get baptized. He didn't have to, to go and join Sunday school or a church or anything. He was saved that moment and that day. And you, my friend, the moment that you believe in Christ, the moment that God works a miracle in your life and your stoned, cold, hard, dead heart is made alive to the wonder and the majesty and the love of God, you're saved. You receive that. You see that. You're, you're saved. Your heart is changed. That's the promise of the new covenant. You read back in Ezekiel, and you read back in Jeremiah, and it talks about that I will make their, uh, I will make their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That Ephesians chapter 2 passage, it starts by saying you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You guys remember the sermon I preached about that? I got in trouble. Somebody called in from the radio broadcast of that because I, I opened that sermon with an illustration of zombie movies. Do you like zombie movies? Well, the Bible says that there is the walking dead. But God makes us alive. This is what salvation is, and it comes through faith alone. Look at verse 7 here. It says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you by the mouth of the Gentiles, that, the mouth, that by my mouth the Gentiles should receive the word of the gospel and believe. That's faith. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 8, he bore witness to their faith. Salvation is through faith alone, not by works. That's the argument here, is that, that God, through His grace, saved the Gentiles, not because they were Jews, but because of His grace, He saved them through Jesus Christ. And all that they had to do to receive this salvation was believe the message that was proclaimed to them, the message of the gospel. God, man, Christ responds. And, and by believing that, they were saved. Paul didn't need to pack a scalpel on his missions trip because all they had to do was believe. Friends, all we have to do is believe. Now, I say that's all we have to do, but that's a big thing. Because what it means to believe is that we would set aside our selfishness, our desire. We would recognize our sinfulness and our need for Christ. And we would seek to follow him. We would be his disciple. We would call him Lord and Master. Last week what we looked at, we would be his slave. We would be his servant, not our own. 
because we've realized the joy and the wonder of God's grace. We have to emphasize faith. The Bible clearly teaches we are saved by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Third statement here is that salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. Look at verse 11. We believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Him and Him alone that salvation is made. That Jesus Christ made the way for our salvation by His propitiation, His sacrifice as He went to the cross. As He says on that last supper that night, what we'll celebrate here in a few moments, that in my blood is the new covenant poured out for you. That it is the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ that makes possible God's grace. And it always has been based upon that, that Christ himself, his substitute on the cross, is by the, the grace that we receive, the salvation that we receive, so that there is salvation in no one else but in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And that includes you. It's not that Jesus starts the process, and by golly, I get to finish it. Friends, if salvation depended on me to keep and me to do, it would have been lost very shortly after I first heard about Jesus. Salvation is in Christ alone, not in the law, but in the grace of God that's seen in Christ. Okay, salvation is in Christ. That's our first big heading. Secondly, I want us to think about the law. If salvation is in Christ, then salvation, we are not saved by the law. That's the second major heading here. We're saved by Christ, not saved by the law. And I know this is somewhat archaic for us, being a non-Jewish group that have heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and we really don't have a whole lot of temptations to serve the law, but it is important for us to understand this because the law of God is still there, and there are still many groups that will try to convince you in one way or another that you must be saved and you must keep the law. So what is the law? Uh, how is it that we're to, to think about this? Here, Peter, look at this statement. This is this is a man born as a Jew that makes this statement in verse 10 that the law of Moses is a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Can you imagine the face of those Pharisees in the Jerusalem council when he said that? <laughs> Can you imagine their face? I, I think they probably said unholy words. I mean, it's an amazing statement, isn't it? This is a yoke and a burden which, which we or our fathers cannot bear. The reality of it is, is that these Pharisees believed at the end of the day that they weren't saved by Jesus, but they were saving themselves by their strict adherence to the law. That was the whole problem with Phariseeism that we see the whole time that Jesus confronts it within the gospel. They think they're good enough. They've earned it. I'm better than everyone else. 
what a slap in the face it is when they hear, no, that doesn't matter. Because in faith, Today, there are many that you will encounter that though it might not be the Old Testament law, but there is something that they pride themselves on and they pride their salvation in. And they look upon you and they judge whether or not you truly are a Christian because you don't keep their thing like they keep their thing. Amen? Don't name names, but I know you're thinking them. This, this is what he says, is that it's, in, in Romans 3, Paul says this, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The, 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 as we think about the, the law, the, there's two things that I want to share with you. First of all, God's law, the purpose of God's law, is, is it shows us our need for grace. The law is the schoolmaster by which we see that we can't keep the law, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't make ourselves righteous, that we need God because we can't do it on our own. Paul goes on in chapter 4 after he says this and he makes an incredible statement. In chapter 4 he talks about Abraham, right? Abraham, the one who God made the covenant with. The greatest representative of, of, of a man who followed God in the Old Testament. And he goes to Abraham and he, he says in Romans chapter 4 that, that Abraham was justified. He was made righteous not by the keeping of the law. But he says he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's a very important verse in your Bible. What the argument is, is that Abraham wasn't justified by works. Abraham wasn't made righteous because of the law. Abraham was saved because he believed. His heart was soft. He truly believed what God had promised to him. I, I want you to see something that throughout the, the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, what you will find is, is that there are, as Paul talks about later in that passage, those who are of, that share Abraham's faith. The true Israel, the true children of Abraham are the ones who shared his faith, not just his bloodline. See, God has always cared that we would believe. That we would trust. And it would be counted unto us as righteousness. That's what faith in the New Testament is, that we would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would trust that, and as we trust that, it is counted unto us as righteousness, that we're saved because we believe in what God has done and what God has promised. We often think of the Old Testament as they were saved by the law, now we're saved by grace. Friends, I'd like you to reread your Bible and see that throughout the whole Bible, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Galatians 3, 24 says this, So then the law was your guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ you are all sons of God through faith. The, the purpose of the law was to show us that we needed grace that we couldn't do it on our own, that it kept pointing us back to the fact that we needed God to do something to forgive us. 
Every time they broke a law. Every time they went to the temple. As they went out into the field and they raised their lambs and they raised their heifers and they, 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 they fed the best one knowing that one day they're going to have to take that thing to Jerusalem and they're going to have to sacrifice it because they're sinners. It always pointed to the fact that they needed God and they needed God's grace. The second point that Peter makes here is that no one can bear the burdens of the law. You want the law? You... you you, you want the law? You want to be saved by the law? You can't do it. This is what he says. He says, he says it was, a, verse 10, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. You can't keep the law. The, 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 in Galatians, Paul argues this. He says, if a person says that circumcision is necessary for salvation, he puts himself under obligation for the whole law. This is Paul's argument in Galatians, and it's rather hilarious if you read it. It's, it's one of the most comical parts of the New Testament. Paul says, okay, because this is the issue in Galatians, is there's these Judaizers, they're back. Why aren't, you, why aren't missionaries packing scalpels? And, and, and he goes out, and he, and he argues with them, and he says, if you... If you want to make that the burden, then you've got to keep the whole law, not just that part. It's easy to have a one-time surgery done on you, but you've got to keep and bear all of it. Are you ready to do that? James says it like this, same thing. It, you, you can keep the whole, you, if you try to keep the whole law and you stumble at one point, you're guilty of a lawbreaker of the whole law. So It's a rhetorical argument. You can't Keep the law, don't try it. Trust in grace. Trust in grace. Okay, we've seen that salvation is in, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We've seen that we're not saved by the law, that the law there is to be our school teacher, to point us to the need of grace, that, that salvation has always been through grace, and that if you even tried to keep the law, you better keep all of it because you will never satisfy the law. That's why we have grace. I want to make one final point here as we pull it together, and that is Christian unity requires gospel truth. Christian unity requires gospel truth. Peter makes it very clear in verses 7 through 8, that, that the, the gospel of God, the, the grace of God originated in God's plan for all men, that even the Gentiles will be saved. James will answer, so next week we'll look at James, who is the pastor in Jerusalem. It's a very interesting dynamic on church leadership, but the lead pastor is going to speak, as James is going to, to speak in chapter 15, and in verses 14 and 18, he says this. He, he uses the Old Testament, and he says how, you know, Simeon first related how God visited the Gentiles. So, so Peter says uh, he, he did this, that, that he called the people to his name. And then he uses the Old Testament, and he preaches a mini-sermon about how God is saving them through grace. The point is this. The, the Jerusalem council did not come together. There, there wasn't a dissension about this issue, and they came together, and they said, you know what, um, brothers, can't, can't we all just get along? Does, does theology really matter? You ever heard somebody that says, theology just divides. I don't, I don't want to know, I don't want to talk about theology. I don't, I, I don't care about theology. I, can't we all just, just love Jesus? Have you ever heard that? 
There's a lot of people that that's their sentiment. And the problem with that is you can't have unity if you lose the gospel. It's deadly. It's deadly for yourself. It's deadly for your hearers. It's deadly for the church. And so there are times, this is what I love about Acts 15. We're going to see a time right here in Acts 15 where the line is drawn. And there can be no compromise. There can be no unity if we don't believe that salvation is through Christ, by grace, founded in faith. It's a line in the sand. And in the next passage that we're going to look at, they're going to talk about a letter that they write to the Gentile believers where they make cultural compromises and they help to try to bring unity where there's some very big differences on secondary issues that don't matter about the gospel. And and the reality of it is, as we think about the church and we think about denominations and we think about belief, I I want you to see this. There There are what are first priority things. If you get this wrong, you cannot be saved. And on those things, we must stand firm, and and there's no vacillation, and we must hold the line and hold truth. Amen? And then there's areas of secondary things. And some of those secondary things are important. Think about how different groups look at the issue of baptism. But I would say you can get baptism wrong and still go to heaven. And then there's third order, tertiary things. What's the certain timing of Jesus' return? And looking at the Bible, individuals for 2,000 years have, have come up with different ideas on these things, but they don't matter to your salvation. We can still work together in ministry in a church, and we can hold different convictions on those things. So, so we need unity in essentials. We don't need unity in every single thing, or every church would be three people. I don't even know if my wife would come to my church. <laughs> but when it comes to salvation, we must be unified. We must be unified. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. I hope you remember that. I hope out of all of this, you remember that, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Not of our own works, not of our own hands, but through what Christ has done in Christ alone. Now, are we to have good works? Absolutely. We're to see the joy of what God has done and the wonders of his grace and desire to live for him. But those works don't save us. I want to conclude this sermon in, a, in an interesting way that I think is fitting. And that is, I, I want us to proclaim that we believe this. That we believe that we have been saved by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, by taking the Lord's Supper together.